Good morning. My name is Andy Napoli, and I'm going into f- fifth grade next year. I have the privilege of reading our scripture today for the day. Today's study of the book of Hebrews comes to an end as we hear the final benediction and blessing to the Hebrew people. In these last few verses, we will see a summary of all we have read so far as God reminds us of his peace, power, and promises to his people. Our passage today comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. I invite you to follow along in your own Bibles or look up to the screens as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that is which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now please join me in responsive reading on the screens. All flesh is all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord works ever. Way to go, Andy. Thank you. Let's give Andy a round of applause. Way to go, Andy. Andy is um, newish to our church. He and his family moved here in October. His mom, Carrie, serves on staff with our youth ministry department. And we love having children in worship. For those, I see lots of kiddos here today. We're so grateful to have you here. Hi. Um, And we want you to feel comfortable. This is your church, and this is your family. And so, Andy, thank you for leading us. We learn a lot from our children, and it's such a blessing to hear from them. So we're super thankful. For those who don't know me, my name is Becky Pritchard. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It is such a blessing to be with you all. I'm always so grateful when I get to share the word of the Lord with you as we've been walking all spring. Is it spring? It's summer. But you know, we started in January all the way until now. We are finally finishing the book of Hebrews. So we've been sort of walking through passage by passage, chapter by chapter, and today we finish the end of the book. Are you excited? Are you ready? Okay. Before we start, let's join together in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So I know I don't preach in here all that often, so if I were to begin with a benediction, you all might be like, wait, what? Isn't that supposed to go at the end of the service? You might kind of start be thinking, Bob, did you not tell her that she's supposed to end the service with a benediction and not begin it with a benediction? It would be a little strange. Others of you might be like, yes, we're done. It's time to go to lunch. We got a quick benediction and we're out of here. I'm, I gotta be honest with you, growing up, my favorite words that the pastor would say after, during his sermon was, let us pray. Because I knew we were Nearing the end. I mean, I'm human. I'm a pastor's kid. I had to listen to a lot of sermons growing up. All of them were very, very good, Mom. Hi. Um, No, but seriously, we want to get to lunch. We're ready for it to end. We sort of see the sermon building up. We pray, and then we leave with a blessing from God, a benediction. Closes out our worship service. Today, we're going to be talking about a very powerful benediction, the final words of the author of Hebrews to the Hebrew people. 
I really do like benedictions. Often we hear benedictions regularly in our service. Our practice here is to raise our hands, signifying that we have nothing apart from God. And as we receive his blessing, the words come from him. They're not my words, they're not Mitchell's words, Bob's words, they're not pastor's words. They are words from scripture, a blessing from God. We love benedictions because it closes us out and it sends us off. So today, as we look through chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 of our Hebrew scripture, we will see this benediction that really encapsulates the entire book of Hebrews. So if you've missed the entire spring, this is the first day you're coming and you're like, oh, I didn't know we were studying Hebrews. Well, guess what? You're going to get a great summary here in these last two verses. You haven't missed anything. I really would encourage you to go back and read the entire book of Hebrews, but it's a great summary of the final, of these final two verses. So we are going to lead with the benediction. I invite you to keep your Bibles open, chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. We're going to be looking at piecing these couple of verses apart. It's a lot chalked in to two short verses. So in these final words, the author is reminding the Hebrews and us of several things. The great peace of God, we're going to see. The great power of God. The greatness of Jesus as our great shepherd. The great covenant of God for his people. The great purpose God has for our lives. And the great glory of God. All of these things are summed up in these verses. And we begin that we see, first of all, that we have a God of peace. Verse 20 begins, now may the God of peace, okay, stop right there. Who here doesn't want peace in their lives? We are all searching for peace. We are tormented people, broken by sin, full of anxiety. Bob just prayed a beautiful prayer about laying down our anxieties before the Lord. Our worries, our frustrations, our fears, we want peace. We want world peace. It's like those, you know, pageants. What do you want? World peace. We want world peace. We have a God of peace. God is peace. He himself is peace, and he also gives peace to us, his people. He is interested in reconciliation, a peace that goes beyond destruction and dis-ease to make right relationships. Because you see, in the fall of humanity, when Adam and Eve fell away from the perfect relationship they had with God, that relationship was broken. Our peace was lost when sin entered the picture. But God was not satisfied with the broken relationship because of sin. He wasn't satisfied with the the lack of peace. He was interested in reconciliation. And we have a God who does not celebrate in darkness and lies and fear and hate, but a God who is peace. So as the author of Hebrews finishes this this book, this letter, he's reminding the readers that God is peace, not only in himself, but in us and through us, his people. In the midst of all that the Hebrew Christians are facing, they need peace. Because of our sin, we do not deserve peace with God. We deserve war with God. We, because, of, because we are enemies of God because of our sin, we are separated. But since God is a God of peace, our separation is not the end of the story. 
He had a plan for our sin, and we see that plan unfold throughout the scriptures. The crux of our faith that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And this is going to be described in the next part of these verses. So in addition to God's peace, we see God's incredible power. The power of God, verse 20 continues, now may the peace of God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. I know nobody, not Hulk, not Spider-Man, not anybody that has the power to bring someone back to life. Okay, maybe in those movies, there's fantasy of like someone's about to die and they go in and save them. But seriously, not anyone ever in the whole entire world in all of time has been had the power to bring somebody back from the dead. The power of God is so great to raise his only son from the grave, from death to life. This is not just a magic trick. It is not smoke and mirrors. It is not fantasy. It is not made up. It is real. God brought his only son up from the grave. It happened in real life on this earth. God has the power to bring death from dead death to life. One thing that's interesting to note, we've studied this entire book of Hebrews, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is only mentioned one time in the entire book of Hebrews. You're getting it today. Ding, ding, ding. You chose a good day to come. The resurrection of Jesus throughout all of Hebrews, all of the, what we've heard about Jesus being superior, Jesus being the greatest, about God's sovereignty through Jesus, we don't hear about the resurrection until the very end, until the blessing, the benediction upon his people. It's like he's been building this great sermon up and he's going to drop the biggest bomb at the end, the crux of it all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death to life, power. He's gotten the attention of his readers. And as he finishes out, he says, we have a God of peace who has the power to raise his son from the, gra from the grave. It's a powerful moment. This blessing and benediction describes the biggest event in history, reminding us that God has that much power and that much power God uses in us. God has the power to raise dead, the dead to life, and he is at work in our lives with that amount of power. Do we trust that God has that amount of power in our lives? God brings peace into our lives, and his power is at work in us. So as we continue reading, we see next that Jesus, the one that God raised from the dead, is the great shepherd. Verse 20 continues, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now may the peace of God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. We know in John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself to his disciples as the good shepherd. Have you heard that one before? The good shepherd. We also know that God is a shepherd to his people in the dark valleys of death, Psalm 23. But the author of Hebrews is not just saying that Jesus is a good shepherd. He's saying that he is a great shepherd. Let's not forget all the times over and over throughout the book of Hebrews, the author is comparing Jesus to Moses, to Joshua, to the prophets, to the angels, to the high priest. And every time, Jesus is greater the author loves to hand out superlatives. You know, like at the end of the year, you get your yearbook and it's like best hair, best couple, best whatever it is. 
Superlatives are given out. They're all listed out. And Jesus is the best and the greatest of all. So he's bringing that back in here at the benediction. Don't forget, he's not just the good shepherd, although those are the words of Christ, but he is the great shepherd, the one that will care for you, the one that will feed you and protect you and watch out for you and call for you. The one who cares more than anyone else has ever cared. The one who will die for you sacrificing his own life so that we might be saved. The great shepherd. This is grace. We do not deserve this great shepherd. We do not deserve this salvation. We don't deserve freedom from our sin. We are people who do gross and yucky things. We make a mess of everything because of our sin. But God took this into account and he had a plan God of peace, God of power, to send the great shepherd and, make, and he made an eternal covenant with his people. So we see that God does all of this by the blood of the eternal covenant. Verse 20 continues. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by blood, by the blood of the eternal covenant. The new covenant was sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who was sacrificed so that we might have life eternal. This covenant that began with Adam and Eve, covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. We see covenant language all throughout scripture. God is a God of covenant, one who makes a promise to his people and he fulfills his promises. We see over and over every promise that God has made, he has fulfilled. Covenant with David in 2 Samuel. The new covenant with Jesus brought in a covenant, an eternal covenant that was planned for by God from the beginning, an eternal covenant that is never ending. Do you really understand eternity? I don't think any of us really get it. Everything in our lives come to an end. You know, second grade or, you know, freshman year of college or whatever it is, it starts and it finishes, a new job, an old job, kids' lives, they grow up. Everything we know ends, except for one thing. Jesus, God's covenant with us through Jesus Christ, eternal. It's for life, it's for salvation, it's for everything. And in order for this covenant to be made true, a sacrifice was made. A few chapters ago, we talked about in Hebrews how Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice that all the Levitical high priests had to make sacrifices day in and day out for the sins of the people. And each one, they had to keep going back and making another one and another one because none of them were satisfying the wrath of God until Jesus came and his sacrifice, his once for all sacrifice would be the one that captures all of the sin and makes it right and new. No longer are sacrifices needed because of Jesus Christ. This covenant by God through Jesus is the ultimate covenant. The final one, the promise for eternal life and freedom from sin because of the death of Jesus on the cross. And there is a promise that Christ will return. So we have to be, in the meantime, people of God followers of Christ, knowing what has happened on the cross, knowing the promise of God by the eternal covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, waiting for the return and the redemption of the world 
So what do we do in the meantime? This covenant can't change based on the crazy of this world. This covenant will not change by how bad things get. God's not gonna throw in the towel and say, you know what, y'all are too messed up. This world is too broken, I'm not doing it. Nope, the promise is forever. This is the eternal covenant that we have the opportunity to live into, that we might become citizens of heaven as we follow Jesus Christ. So what for? As we look at verse 21, we continue into the so what. So we know that we have a God of peace. We know that God is powerful enough to bring Jesus from the grave. We know that he sent a great shepherd, the best one of all, the one, the only one that can truly protect us. We know that there was an eternal covenant made for us, and so what? Verse 21, he will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. God does all of this so that we would have a right relationship with him in a peace, the peace that he's promised, so that he will equip us to do his work in this world. Now, don't be confused. It's very easy to think it's our work. This is the work of God in us. He equips us as his hands and feet in the world. Everything good, everything good in us comes from God. Everything good we do is for the will, is for the will of the Lord. The best part, the best news about this is that God just doesn't save us and leave us. Figure it out, good luck. Find out how to do it on your own. Find out what you're supposed to do next. It's like the worst feeling when a teacher's like, well, I've taught you, now go and do it. And you're like, I don't know. But Jesus, God, walks with us. He sent a comforter. Guess what? He sent a spirit to be indwelling in, in us, to work with us, to equip us to do the work that he set out for us. And guess what? We don't have to find that work on our own, walking around going, I wonder what God wants me to do today. I don't know. Guess what? God has already planned that work for you. We are weak and limited and broken and lost, and we cannot do it on our own, no matter how hard we like to try. It is God in us, equipping us to do the work that he has set out for us. Mitchell talked last week about being citizens of heaven. When we follow Christ, when we're transformed by the power of the Spirit, we learn and we behave and we act and we think differently. We have a higher purpose. And we cannot do this out of the power of our own strength or out of sheer will because God is equipping us to live differently, put there by God in order to fulfill the will of God. God had a plan for our sins. He wanted reconciliation for us, peace with us, relationship that is eternal. And he made this happen through Jesus' death and he promises us Christ's return. And so in the meantime, we get to live differently. Praise the Lord. Because this world is a very dark, very sad, very hard place to live. And without Christ, I don't know if I could do it. Right? Watching the news every day, I could, I mean, the hope of Jesus, knowing that we have work set out for us for his glory, is sometimes the only thing that gets me out of bed in the mornings. I just, I can't do it on my own strength. It's too hard. So God uses us for his glory. We're gonna live differently as citizens of heaven called to a higher purpose. 
He equips us. That means he gives us tools. He gives us what we need. He shows us how to do it. He trains us up. We make mistakes, yes, ma'am. But he shows us the way. He equips us for his will. And verse 21 says, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. He equips us to do works that please him and bring him glory. Not so we can boast, patting ourselves on the back, but for the glory of God. We see this illustrated several times throughout scripture. Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved. You guys know this one. This is, every time I think of this passage, I think of Alex Florio. He just loves this passage, Ephesians 2, 10. And this is not by your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared them beforehand, equips us as his workmanship to do this for his glory, all for God. Out of his sovereignty, knowing what comes next, God equips us to do his work that is pleasing to him. It's pleasing to him. We read a psalm in a meeting this last week. It talked all about delighting when we delight in the law of God, the, word, the feeling of pleasure and delight are things that sometimes we like push down because that can't be good. If it's something that feels good, it can't be good, right? Not always. The things that God delights in are us, his people. He delights in you. He has pleasure in the work that you do for him. Receive that and know that when you feel like a total screw up, God is looking at you with love. He delights in you. He is pleased when you do the work he has set out for him. And we have peace with him when we know that we are doing the will of our Father. Philippians 2.13 says it almost identically to the way that we hear it here at the end of um, Hebrews. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's clear to me that the author of Hebrews and Paul hung out. They use very similar language. They say some different things, but it's all very similar. The God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. They're making the same point that God delights in his people. We're transformed by the power of the spirit. It's so easy to continue to walk in the way of sin. That is so easy. We're humans, it's hard. But when we trust that the spirit is at work in us, it is not our own efforts, but the power of the spirit that does transform us. We do look different day by day. And when we look back, we go, oh my gosh, I can't believe how different I am now. This is great. God is using me for his glory. So the question is, it's so easy to preach about. It sounds good in scripture. It's a benediction. It blesses us as we go. But how does this actually work in our lives? The real question is this. How can this not work in our lives? How can this not change everything about what we do. When we don't wanna get up in the morning because the two-year-old is screaming in the room next door and we're going, oh my gosh, I can't do this again. <sighs> is that just me? I see some parents of little ones too. Um, or I just don't wanna to go to work or I don't wanna to go to fifth grade. I'm scared of fifth grade, fifth grade's hard. Or whatever it is that you feel like you don't wanna do or can't do or feel like you're terrible at. Reframe. God is going to equip you to do the work he has set out for you. Reframe. What might God do through me today 
Stop thinking about ourselves. <laughs> oh, that'd be so easy if we could stop thinking about ourselves. We love ourselves. I, I sure do. But what can God do for his glory today, not for mine? What is going, God going to do and how will he equip me? We do not deserve any of this. We are broken people and we don't deserve the peace with God. We deserve coal in our stockings, right? It's not Christmas time, Christmas in June. Um, but we can't be good because we're broken by sin. That is why we need a savior, Jesus Christ, who was sent to live on this earth and die a death that we deserved so that we might have eternal life. God is working in our hearts, even if we don't see it or feel it. God gains glory through his work in us. We find freedom from sin and God is glorified and our lives begin to look differently. All this ends at a culmination of this last phrase of verse 21. It says, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. It's all for the glory of God. It begins, it ends in the very same way that it began at the beginning of Hebrews. We saw in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Glory, glory, glory. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. To Jesus Christ be all the glory. He begins his letter Jesus is the glory of the radiance of God. He ends with the benediction to all glory be to Jesus Christ. All of this is for Jesus's glory. These Hebrew Christians faced persecution. persecution. They had a hard life and the author knew that they needed to be reminded over and over again of the superiority of Jesus. As you remember through Hebrews, it's very repetitive. And the work of God in Jesus for God's own glory. And for us, we need these reminders God is at work and he will equip us. The world is a tough place. We need one another. But more than that, we need a savior. We have a God of peace. We have a God of power. We have a great shepherd, a shepherd that died for us. He not only protects us and cares for us and teaches us and loves us, he died for us. We have a great covenant, one that is eternal. And God equips us to do his work for his pleasure. Pleasure, We have a purpose. As we wait, because Jesus is returning, guys, as we wait, we have a purpose. So as we end today, I have a quick shameless plug. Vacation Bible School is coming up in a little over a week. A week from tomorrow, this campus will be covered with kids and volunteers. We have over 80 volunteers signed up. We can always use more. So if you want to come, please do. We have over 100 kids sign up. It's not too late to sign up. We can come the day of and bring your kids. We would love to have you here. But why do we do Vacation Bible School? Do we do it because we just love to spend a lot of money on crafts and games and toys? Do we do it because we just love to cover the halls and butcher paper and spend a whole bunch of time putting up stuff? Do we do it because we like to see high schoolers get up on stage and dance and jig, the jig with all the kids? Jig? I don't know. Um, to dance with the kids. Uh, do we like it because, do we do it because of the yummy snacks? I mean, those are pretty good, right? The VBS is a pretty fun week. Is it just because we're providing free childcare for families that need to work and have their kids be taken care of? Some of you are like, yes, please. But seriously, why do we do VBS? We do it because God is glorified and pleased when people come to know him 
and his son, Jesus Christ. God is glorified. We also love the snacks, but our call as disciples of Christ is to share his love and joy and peace with everyone that we come across. We do VBS because we take this benediction and blessing seriously. We are people called to live differently, to share the love of Jesus, especially to children. Children, are you coming to VBS? I know you guys are. We want to see you here because we want you to know the power and the peace and the love of Jesus. Parents, we know that you need help as you raise your kids. We want to encourage you as you teach your kids about who Jesus is. You are equipped to do his good work, even with your child, even in your home. Grandparents, same thing. People that don't have kids yet, guess what? We want you to come and serve with us. If you feel like, ugh, not equipped, I don't work with kids, I do that, the behind the scenes thing. We got behind the scenes work. You can bring tacos every day, lattes for the staff, I don't know. But there are other ways to serve besides just sitting down with kids and teaching them if you don't feel equipped that way. But guess what? God will equip you for his good work. Not for yours, for his. God will be glorified. That is why we do VBS. That's why we do anything in this church. Our mission and vision here at First Prize is to love Jesus Christ, love one another, and love the city. All of that we can do because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. None of it is because we're any good at any of it. We are reliant completely on God to show us the next step in his kingdom work here in San Antonio. We get to be a part of that. Don't you want to be a part of that? Come and be a part of that with us. Next week, VBS, we'd love to have you. But seriously, as you leave here today, remember that God is pleased in you, that God is going to equip you for the work that he is set out to do for his will, for his glory. Come on and serve with us in any aspect of what we do here at First Pres. If you're feeling shy, I don't blame you. I feel shy all the time. I'll be your friend. We want you to come, sing, serve, pass the plate, go to a Bible study, learn, learn about Revelation or whatever you don't know much about. Come and be with us in this family of faith, knowing that God will equip you as you're transformed to the likeness of Christ for God's glory. So as we end the study of the book of Hebrews, let us end with hope and life and joy, remembering that we're at peace with God because we have a Savior sent by God to die for us so we might have life eternal. And God will continue to work in and through us for his glory on this earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, your grace upon us, and the joy that you have in us. We pray, Lord, for your peace, your overwhelming peace that we don't always feel here on this earth. We pray that it would truly transcend all understanding. Give us life, give us hope. And God, when we feel scared, Remind us that you are equipping us for your work, for your will, and for your glory. Help us to get out of the way as you do miraculous things in this church and in the city of San Antonio, across our nation and our world. We thank you that you go before us, that you indwell us, and that you send friends to walk beside us as family, encouraging and loving one another. God, we pray that this time of worship would be glorifying to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.